That is bad. <laughs> uh, you have to be 60 and over to appreciate that. Is there hope for America? Many are asking that question. Is there hope for America? And can it come without being forced to accept one God? Is there a a nation that now has become an abomination to him? Does he look down and see the increase of sin and the moral erosion that is happening in our society and in every aspect of society. Have we fallen from some great heights because God made us such a great nation above all other nations? And if we have fallen to that great height, is there any way that God absolutely could restore us again? Is there a great warfare going on? And if I really was spiritual, could I see that the principalities of darkness are warring against the spirits of heaven because they know that there is about to be the last and final battle that will declare that God is sovereign. If, if it wasn't for prayer and it wasn't for the few that are faithful, it would be possible that we would already be in a full-gauge war. We need to understand where we are as a people tonight. I will talk to you tonight about Israel, and we will tie Israel into the oncoming events prophetically that are about to happen. Because there is a great conflict going on in Israel right now. And that conflict is not Palestinians against Israelites. And it is not even Muslims that are fighting against what is called Jewish uh, believers that obey the law of God. But the fight is really over the land. Because in Joshua 13 and verse 1, God spoke to Joshua and said, There is still much land for you to possess. Joshua, being a military leader, had conquered 31 kings. He had torn down the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Jebusites, but he had not gone in and possessed the land that God told him to build as an inheritance for the children that they may know who Jehovah God is. And now, thousands of years later, there is still a battle because whether you lose the battle or win the battle, God will not let up until you take what he says is yours. And tonight you must understand that here in Seekonk, that God has put this church in its place because there is a place for you to grant an inheritance and to build something that will be passed on to generation after generation. And the battle will go on for you to possess that which God has given you. And so as we look at it tonight, we are now going back into the scriptures for God to speak. I want us to ask ourselves a question. Do I really need the presence of God? And most of us immediately would be answering yes. 
we need God's presence. But the Bible tells us why we need God's presence. And with the one world church, the one world government, and the one world money system, and that money has already been printed, can I talk to you? Because really, the money you have in your hand is worthless. Come on, it's being just held together with nothing. And we are looking at a time of great conflict. And the Bible tells me why I must be filled with what is called the presence of God. And so as we look at this tonight, we must understand without his presence, there is no one to guide me through the obstacles that are about to come to the United States of America. I need someone to make sure that I can get through every obstacle, every antichrist spirit, every deception, every lying spirit, every one world money system, every one world government and one world church. I need someone to show me how to get through what is about to be released upon the United States of America. I need the presence of God. He is a guide. The second reason that I need to be filled with the presence of God is he is the only one that can protect me. Come on, church. There is nothing that is going to be able to protect us. We can buy as much gold as we can afford. But the Bible says that when this thing hits, a bar of gold will only buy one loaf of bread. Come Come on. Because the securities of what once held strong in our nation will begin to crumble and disintegrate in front of us. And so I need to know a provider that will care for me and that in this guiding me through this prophetic hour as the kingdom of darkness wages against the kingdom of God, I am assured that I will not be defeated, but I will be victorious. I not only need a provider, I need a protector. I need to know that in this hour, I cannot save myself. Come on, church. I'm pressing in tonight. There is nothing in us that will be able to produce a protection against what is going to happen. But when God becomes our fortress, our strong tower, our shelter, the place where we dwell, God promises that nothing that comes near our dwelling place will be able to destroy us and any weapon formed against us cannot and will not prosper. Can I talk to you? So I need to know that I need God to protect me in an incredible way by his incredible presence. The other thing that I need to know is without his presence, there is no voice to talk to me. Come on. And I'm going to need to hear the voice from heaven that can break through the confusion of the Antichrist, the confusion of the angel of light, and the confusion of men's hearts who do not believe they need God. 
Come on. I need to hear a God that still speaks and still talks. And I need his presence because his presence will speak to me. His presence will cause me to be strengthened. And I need his presence because, listen to me clearly, as we look at verse 18 tonight in 1 Kings, I need for him to give me courage. And you must hear me tonight. I am not here to cause you to be gripped with fear. I am not here to discourage you. I am not here to speak negative to you. But I am here to tell you that the hordes of hell that are about to be released on the United States of America, we must have courage that God is greater than what we see and what we know. Come on, that we must have a courage in God. That God will not forsake us. God will not leave us. God is for us. He is not against us. The latter house will be greater than the former. And I am going to need courage to face this hour. And the next thing is, I'm going to need faith in a holy God. And when I say faith in a holy God, I am not talking about faith that you must have, come on, to be healed or faith that prospers or faith that gives you provision. I'm talking about a faith that there is no other God but God himself, Jehovah Yahweh, and that he wins in the end. And because I am in him and he is in me, I am a winner, not a quitter. Come on, I've got to need that kind of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I must have a faith in God that I live my life to please this incredible God. And the final blow of the enemy, I need the presence of God to keep hope. Because the enemy's next great assignment, please hear me, by the Spirit of the Lord, is to rob people of their hope and confidence that God is in the midst of what we are fixing to stand in. Come on, we need a hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. There is a hope. Jesus is, the Bible says, the hope of all glory. And the enemy is going to come and try to make you and I hopeless. Hopeless because the economy will collapse. Hopeless because foreclosures will come. Hopeless because the government will not have the answers. Hopeless because the education system is in confusion. Hopeless because there are riots and violence in the earth. Hopeless because there will be racial riots where kingdoms come against kingdoms and nations against nations. Can I talk to you? And we are going to have to know in the midst of that chaos a hope in God that everything's going to be all right. Come on. And we have to have that. And those things that I just listed to you and I tonight 
comes from the presence of God and you do not get them in a church service. You do not get them singing a song. You do not get them playing an instrument. You do not get them dancing or clapping. Come on. You get them when you bow your knee to the presence of the one we're talking to and you begin to develop a relationship with him and he imparts who he is unto you. Come on, and it's through relationship that we will find these things. Please go back to 1 Kings chapter 18. The history of any nation depends on the obedience to the God of the word. We may think that we are intellectual enough and humanistic enough that we can live our lives without obedience to his word. But the success of any nation depends on our allegiance to a holy God. And the frightening thing tonight, church, is America has lost her allegiance to God. And not only has America lost it, Many of us that call ourselves Christians have lost our allegiance to God because other agendas will outweigh God's agenda. And we must return to a God. And so we are reading 1 Kings chapter 18. We believe the Bible will talk to us. We believe it will instruct us. We believe it will inspire us. Come on, I'm going to keep on till I get an amen from somebody. Come on. And we believe that we are more than conquerors because God is for us and not against us. May his word come tonight and inspire us. May his word come and encourage us. May his word confront us. May his word convict us. May his word instruct us. May his word call us. May his word strengthen us. May his word bring us into affirmation. May his word empower us. May his word cause us to grow up and stand up. Come on. I'm going to keep going about his word if you don't amen. Come on. Because in his word are all things. Come on. And when we speak the word, preach the word, sing the word, read the word, uh, quote the word. God knows what that word needs to do. Come on. And it doesn't always do the same thing. Come on. Sometimes God said, you acting crazy. I need to confront you. Come on. Sometimes God looks and says, you acting like the heathens and either get it right or I'm going to tell everybody what you're doing. Come on. See, if we really believe God, we come in the house clean. Come on, because what would you do if God stood behind the pulpit and said, today I'm going row by row and I'm telling everything. Come on, you hadn't dealt with it. You hadn't put it under the blood. You wouldn't let me convict you. You wouldn't let me talk to you about it. So I'm just going to put it out in the open so people know what you need to deal with. Turn around to someone and say, the only word that comes to me tonight is, help me, Jesus. Come on, help me, Jesus. Come on, because how many of you know you don't want people knowing your business? Come on. 
I look at Eddie Long. I call his name because it's been in the newspaper. It's been in the media. Uh, We have seen uh, all that has gone on. And I remember three years ago going to Eddie Long with a word from the Lord. And I remember saying these words. God loves you. How many of you know God won't let you get by with anything because he loves you? Come on, God don't talk to you about what's wrong because he's mad at you. He talks to you because he loves you. And I walked away and I realized this truth. God loves you enough to uncover you. Come on, how many of you know Adam and Eve never knew they were naked? Come on, until God uncovered them. Come on, and they looked down and it was such a shock. They hid behind a bush. Come on, and tried to sow fig leaves. Come on, just turn around to someone and said, that is a stupid verse in the Bible. (laughs) Because you've got to understand, fig leaves will dry up and wither in two hours. And God will uncover you because he wants to cover you back. So it's called restoration or reconciliation. But if we don't let God uncover us, then he will let people and the media expose us. Come on, and we don't want to be exposed. Turn around to your neighbor and say, don't be looking over here. Come on. We we don't want to be exposed. Come on. But we do want God to uncover us. And so this is an uncovering moment at Mount Carmel. This is the greatest showdown that has ever been recorded in the history of Israel. This is where true prophets will verse the false prophets. This is where Elijah is going to be outnumbered 1 to 850. And listen to me, when this thing hits, there is not going to be an increase to the church. Please stay with me. The Bible said it will be a great falling away and we will be outnumbered. Come on, but what we have to understand is you plus God equals victory. Come on, we got, we got to realize that tonight. And Elijah is outnumbered 1 to 850, and he takes a stand for righteousness, and Elijah wins because he's on God's side. Come on, we looked at it this morning. How long will you limp between two opinions? You either serve Baal or you serve God. You can't be indecisive. And if you will make a choice tonight, I choose to be on God's side. God will begin to restore things eternally in you that only God can do. So that when you stand up against the false prophets and the Antichrist spirit, you will not bow a knee. You will not flinch an eye. You will stand strong and tall and God will be glorified in your life because you choose to say with boldness, assurance, and confidence, I am on the Lord's side. And church, we need to come to that affirmation in our life. So as we look at it, may we read the word of God tonight. Are you ready? 
1 Kings chapter 18. Turn around to the neighbor and say, if this is your first time tonight, the woman is crazy. (laughs) Verse 20. I love getting old. Because they say, bless her heart. She doesn't have Alzheimer's, but sometimes she don't know what's going on. So 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 20. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel, and he gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. And if Baal is Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer a word. And then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. And remember up in verse 19, there were 400 other prophets of Ashtoreth. So that makes 850 false prophets against one true prophet. Church, before this thing's over, because we will usher in the Antichrist that will stand and become a savior and bring peace when there is chaos, we must understand we are going to be outnumbered. And in the midst of it, then Elijah said, Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it upon the wood, and put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull, and I will lay it on the wood, but I will put no fire on it. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people said, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose for yourself one bull. And prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the names of your God, but put no fire upon it. And they took the bull that was given to them, and they prepared it, and they called on the name of Baal from morning to noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered them. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is in the outhouse relieving himself, or perhaps he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and must be wakened. Call louder. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out of them. And at midday passed, They raved on until the time of the evening offering, but there was no voice. And no one answered and no one paid attention. And then Elijah said to all of the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came saying, 
Israel shall be your name. Can we look at this tonight? Because it is so important for you and I to have Holy Ghost understanding. And I am so glad that the Holy Ghost has come into my life just because of this one scripture, because whatever happens in the New Testament, it must connect with the Old Testament. And everything that happens in the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. Elijah said, the God that answers by fire. And in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, cloven tongues of fire fell from heaven, lit upon the heads of the apostles, and they began to speak with other tongues. I am here to tell you, you and I will not weather 2012 very well if we are not tongue talkers. Come on, I'm going to go there. If it causes you to be rattled in your doctrine, that's fine. Come on, because God rattles a lot of time to set us free. Mm -hmm. But in John, when he resurrected, he said to the apostles... And, and he breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit, because they had yet to be born again. Amen. Come on. And so when, he's, when he resurrected, he went on them, and they had an encounter with what we would call salvation, where the Holy Ghost comes to us. In the book of Acts, he says, Tarry into Jerusalem until the Holy Ghost empowers you. Come on, there's two different experiences in the Holy Ghost. You can have enough of the Holy Ghost to be saved and enough of the Holy Ghost to live in the kingdom of God. Come on, and challenge hell. And on the day of Pentecost, 500, over 500 people were in that upper room. Only 120 tarried there because prayer will always separate people. Come on, there there are people that don't want to pray. Come on, on. but 120 of them hung on. And you know they were desperate. They let the women in the prayer meeting. Oh, Oh, y'all ain't here. Because, see, our, uh, us women, you got to understand us women. We are pit bulldogs with lipstick. And we get a hold of something that's demonic, we are going to bite into it, and we are not letting go, come on, until that thing is on the run. Come on. you got to understand women are crazy in prayer meetings. Come on. They don't come and say, Jesus, we just ask, I pray for this family. What in the world are you doing in that house? You don't belong there. Get out in Jesus' name. Let go of those kids. What do you mean you're harassing my husband? Come on, women go crazy in prayer meetings. And some of you men would do good just to attend a prayer meeting to watch craziness in action when God looks down and says, I'm in agreement with that crazy stuff. The Bible says here, the God that doesn't answer by his breath, the God that doesn't answer by salvation, the God that answers by fire, he is the true living God. Why? Jesus said, you can't live this without fire from heaven 
on your head and your tongue being loosed. Come on, church, it's impossible. You can make it to heaven, but you can't live this thing on earth without the assistance of the Holy Ghost in your life. And the day God came and challenged me as a good Southern Baptist girl and said, I don't care what your theology is connected to your denomination. They didn't write the book. Therefore, they don't even have the right interpretation to the book. I knew what I was saying when I said it. And I said, you need to be empowered dunamis power that explodes like dynamite needs to fall on your head and you need to speak in other tongues because you need an assistance of the Holy Ghost on this journey if you're going to glorify God. And that church, I'm here to tell you, it made my Baptist toes curl. I mean, they curled up. I mean, I had a migraine. Because I could prove to you in the Bible why speaking in tongues was not for today. Come on. Because a dangerous thing about the Bible is when you pull it out of context, you can make it say anything you want to say. Come on. The Holy Ghost wants us to understand homosexuals use the Bible to prove that God created them that way. Come on. Jonathan loved David as himself. And they take that scripture to prove that men can be in love with men and not women. Ruth and Naomi, where you lodge, I will lodge. Come on, come on. They they base that as two lesbian women having an affair. And the latest one, come on, I'm going to shock you, is a homosexual church that now stood up and said they have biblical proof that Jesus was homosexual. Because he asked Peter, lovest thou me? And Peter said, you know I love you. Come on, and Jesus and Peter were carrying on a homosexual affair. Can I talk to you? Because it's important for us to have the Holy Ghost because he don't interpretate nonsense like that. And so you make this Bible back up anything you want it to say. And God now comes and there is going to be a confrontation Because the famine is severe. The economics are crashing. The economy is falling. God is is allowing lack to be everywhere. And the people now are called up to this place. And in the midst of it, we need to find out economic crises are not for the heathen. They're for the church because God wants us to understand. Now you take for granted that I owe you something. Your whole doctrine is wrong. Now you serve me for what you can get, not what you can give. 
Now you want to talk about blessings and prosperity and giftings. And I'm here to do that because I'm a good God and I am committed to you. But that's not why I saved you. I saved you so you could live your life different from other heathen nations. That your marriage is different. Your children are different. How you process problems are different. How you go through trials are different. And in the midst of it now, this discipline comes because God is about to have a confrontation. And the confrontation, listen to me tonight because I'm not going to go in depth, but the confrontation was, I hear your worship, but I can't figure out whether you're following God or following the world. Come on, I hear you worship. I see you bring your offering, but you so are limping with compromise. I don't know who you belong to. I'm not really interested in your song and your worship as much as I'm interested. And when I hear it, there is something when you sing praises to me and you worship me and you give to me, I can't tell whether you love the world more than you love God. I can't tell whether you're raising your kids by the standard of the world or by the standard of the word. Come, come on. I can't figure out what side you're on. And so I need to stop right here on Mount Carmel and look at my church again and say, how long are you going to be so double-minded? I myself can't figure out whose side you're on. I need a commitment. Come on, I don't need you to speak Hebrew, Greek, exegesis. Come on, I don't need none of that nonsense. I just need to know out of your mouth whose side you're on because where this nation is, you cannot be indecisive because you are one side or the other and whatever side you're on, that's what you will follow. Come on, church. Can I talk to you tonight? If you're on God's side, you'll follow God. But if you're on the world side, you are going to follow the world. I just need a commitment. I need to find the people that I can just get up in their face. Do you you understand how blessed you are here at Faith Christian Center? Well, at least three people do. Do you understand that about 15 years ago, I had traveled overseas and, and traveled in America. And about 15 years ago, God spoke to me and said, America is going to hell in a handbasket. They're over there trying to sell uh, salvation and save everybody overseas, but they won't even get out and evangelize their next door neighbor. They're over there feeding pot-bellied children. When I don't know if you realize this, 
But last year on the Appalachia Trail, which goes up through West Virginia and up into those mountains, they had over 3,000 children die last year from rickets and malnutrition. Come on, church. Listen, there's something wrong when your vision, Jesus said, is first to see your city, then your county, then your state, and then the uttermost parts of the world. And we can see the uttermost parts of the world, but we are so nearsighted, we can't even see our city. God wants a commitment out of us. And Elijah is standing there because there is so much mixture in the worship. Because do you understand tonight? I wish I had I wish I had a week to break down about true worship. Do you understand that worship is God's avenue to connect you to a holy God? To make a commitment. That's what worship is. Come on. Not that we just look and say, well, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And you are wonderful. Shakabak, Handelak. Come on. It's to bring us out of the earth's atmosphere and pull us up into heaven's atmosphere. Come on. And we see him seated on the throne, ruling and reigning, and our song and our worship. Come on. Because it's more than a song. It's how I live it. Every time I live as a worshiper, I'm connected to him. I'm connected to him. I'm connected. I'm connected to him. I'm connected to him. I'm connected to him. And the more I get connected to him, the stronger I get that I don't follow the world. I follow the kingdom of God and the one who rules in it. Every time I tithe, I'm worshiping. Come on. Every time I give an offering, I'm worshiping. Every time I pray, I'm worshiping. Every time I'm kind to somebody, I'm worshiping. Every time I feed the poor, I'm worshiping. And the issue of you are so divided in your worship, I can't tell. Are you on the world side or are you over here in the kingdom of God? And please hear this. It was an address to the Israelites, which were God's people. He wasn't addressing the 850 false prophets. He was looking at the church. I go to a little church and they have a, a prophet's chambers, they call it. Little bedroom, little sitting room, a little kitchen. It's in the back of the church. So when church is over, they set the church alarm and lock me up in the church by myself. Mighty woman of God, full of faith for the hour. And the prophet's chamber, the little window is right next to the parking lot of the church. And so I get my gown on, take my makeup off, get ready for bed, 
And I'm laying there, mighty woman of God. Mighty woman of God. Full of faith. Shakabaka Handala. More than a conqueror. And it, I woke up, it was about, I can't remember, I don't want to say, but it was early morning, like two or three in the morning. And I heard noise out on the parking lot. And so I peeked through the blind and I saw two cars pull up and a van. And all of these men got out of there and they said, we can bust into this church and we can rob it within 30 minutes. We need to get in and out within 30 minutes. Well, And I said, oh my God. Because the prophet's chamber did not have a phone. And at that time, there were no cell phones. And so I'm watching this. And I watch one guy pull a gun. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. I'm going to die. This is it. I better think of any sin I can think of and reconfess it. Because I'm fixing to stand before the Savior. Well, they broke in, and they cut the alarm, and it didn't go off. And they came to the back of the church to see what was back there, where my room was, where I'd locked my door. And so, mighty woman of faith, knowing that God is for me and not against me, I can run through a troop and leap over the wall. I crawled, uh, I quickly made my bed like nobody had laid in it and crawled under the bed. And I'm laying under the bed, shaking like a leaf, speaking in tongues. And they came in my room. And they began to ransack through my suitcase. And I mean, I'm like, oh God, I'm breathing so deep. Please don't let them hear me breathing. And one of the guys said, I hear something. And I'm going, no, you don't. In Jesus' name, no, you don't. And I'm under that bed shaking like a leaf. And finally the guy said, ah, you're just high as a kite. You're not hearing anything. Come on. And they stole everything in the church, the sound equipment, the the instruments, the computers. I mean, they took everything. I never came out from under that bed. Next morning here comes a preacher. Sister Mary Ann. I couldn't even answer him. Sister Mary Ann, I couldn't answer him. He opened the door and he said, where are you? And I was shaking so bad that the bed was doing this. And he leaned over and he said, what are you doing under the bed? And I said, they came, they came. And I said to him, I know this church is poor. I know you don't have much money. But if you want me to finish this meeting, I'm going to a hotel. I am not staying. I don't care what you call this place. I don't care how you bind spirits or anoint it. I am not staying here. He said, you're really serious, aren't you? I said, you better take me to a hotel or carry me to the airport. They said, well, we'll put you in a hotel. Now, church, listen to me. The reason I told you that, those little conflicts that come to us cause us to back down rather than to gird up. 
And that is so simple. But I'm here to tell you the demonic forces that are going to take their last stand to bring down America and set the nations up to bow to the Antichrist and cause false peace is going to cause such chaos and turmoil. If we are not positioned on God's side, we will back down. We will not gird up. And God wants us to gird up. And every time I went to that church, that pastor said, I want to introduce this speaker who, when in oppositions, crawls under beds. That's what he introduced me as. Everybody in the church that were new looked and said, what does that mean? I said, you don't want to know. And one day I said to him, listen, enough is enough. Every time I come, you introduce me that way. And he said, if you live it, That's what I'm going to call it. If you overcome it, I'll call it something else. Come on, church. If you're living something contrary to following following God, God's not going to call you what you hope he's calling you. Come on, he will call you what you are. Until you repent and realize under pressure, I don't do too good. So Elijah is confronting them and there is such mixture in their life that because there's mixture in their worship, they are not committed. They are riding the fence. And so when we see it, we understand that the discipline of the Lord right now, if it doesn't come to us, it will destroy us. Come on, if you don't discipline your children, you will end up destroying them. Come on, because they will never know how to submit to parental authority. They will never know how to submit to God authority. And they will never submit to school authority. And they will never submit to work authority. Because a lack of discipline says that your behavior is acceptable. And it will destroy us. Discipline from God doesn't destroy us. The lack of correction is what destroys us. And Elijah's standing there and he is confronting something because I'm here to tell you I am 73 years old. I am not the sharpest pencil in the box. I worked for the juvenile department for a number of years and I realized this. You cannot resolve a problem or give a solution or set a goal without confrontation. Because confrontation gets you out of agreement with what is not pleasing to God. And Elijah is absolutely confronting them. And as they gather there, they can no longer straddle the fence. They have to make a decision. They have to take a stand. And people stood in silence and said nothing, not one word. They were unwilling to respond to Elijah and unwilling to make a decision. That's scary. That's scary. Because there was a time when our government prayed. 
Come on, church, you need to read church history. There was a time when the House and the Senate and anything that was going on in the White House was not even discussed until they cried to Jehovah God to give them wisdom and insight to help them make a decision. There was a time when presidents would fall morally and it brings shame to a nation because a man that was supposed to lead our nation could not even control his own life. And church, listen to me. There's a spirit of insanity when a Bill Clinton can stand up and say, I did not have sex with this woman. That is the most famous line I will live thinking about. I did not have sex with this woman because I didn't penetrate her. We only had oral. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. And nobody in the church blushed. Come on. Nobody in the government seemed to be upset. That we have a man that broke covenant with his wife and he's going to be the one to lead our nation. Come on, I know you don't like what I'm saying. But listen, if you can't be faithful to your wife, how are you going to be faithful to the people of the United States of America? Come on, because your wife's one. Come on, we're many. Come on, and it may not be important to us. We may not think morals are important in leadership, but it doesn't matter because morals are important in leadership to God. We may call it freedom of choice, but God said when it comes to sin, there is no freedom. I don't care what you call abortion, it's murder. Come on, same-sex marriages. Come on, we're not that stupid. Come on, we're Christians. We're not that stupid. The parts don't fit. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. Come on, please tell me you're not that dumb. Come into my biology class. you say, well, my God, my children are sitting next to me. They need to hear it. When God created man and woman, the parts fit. (laughs) Come on, and we're saying it doesn't matter. Yes, it does matter. When you were born, we didn't call for the intercessor. What do you think they are? Come on. If you had outside plumbing, we checked this little thing that said mail. If you didn't have outside plumbing, I promise you, nothing broke. Come on, y'all in my biology class. Come on. You in my biology class. Come on. And so we don't want to talk about sex in church. 
Well, we're not going to talk about that. That's a private, personal thing. No, it's a God thing. Come on, and it's in the book. Come on, it's in the book. I, I just did a youth retreat where they wanted me to talk on sex. My husband's been dead 23 years. I am 73, and I begin to sing a Baptist hymn. Precious memories, let them linger. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, oh, my God. And so I put together <laughs> a study on sex, and by the time the three days were over, I needed mouth-to-mouth resuscitation <laughs> because your kids know more about sex than you even thought about. And I'm going, what? Come on, church, because when we don't take a stand and we are not true worshipers in spirit and truth, we will compromise and we will ignore what's going on round about us. Listen, the Bible's X-rated. Oh, y'all ain't hearing There's sex in the Bible. Come on, there's incest, there's rape. Come, come on. And the reason we get uncomfortable when we start talking about that is we filter it through our mind like the world. Right. Amen. Come on. Understand. Come on. And God said, sex is good. <laughs> and God said, oh, I'm going to come back and do a marriage seminar. God said, sex is good. Why? Come on, church, why? Because everything God creates is good. Come on, the only time it's not good is you are having sex outside covenant. Come on, don't be telling your kids it's not good. Come on, because they'll have to see a counselor when they get married. My mom and dad told me it wasn't good. Come on, then we're going to have to try to straighten you out. Come on, under covenant it's good. If you're married, you ought to have good sex. Oh, come on, all the men ought to be giving me a high five. Why? Come on, church. Because I'm, I'm not trying to embarrass you. Why? Because it's intimacy and communication where two become one. And the Bible said, when you're in unity in covenant, you put a thousand to fly and ten thousand to fly. Come on, it's not about sex. It's about intimacy and relationship. Is everybody okay? We're not in the Baptist church, so we don't provide bulletins. So you can fan. Come on, some of you women, <laughs> 60 and over, look like y'all are going to need the prayer line. Hallelujah. We're going to make sure you're healed in Jesus' name before you leave. Like, <laughs> come on. Some of y'all come more alive over that three-letter word than you have the whole sermon. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
Come on. And church, listen. We ought to be teaching our children about sex. That is not a subject that they learn by the world standard. They learn it by biblical principles. And now Elijah is going to instruct the people, we're going to bring two bulls up here. Now, I've come all the way from Texas (laughs) to tell you, God wants your bull. (laughs) Can you look at your neighbor and go, "Mm." (laughs) Come on, I have flown all the way down here to tell you, you are full of bull. (laughs) And God loves to go after bull. You say, well, I'm not full of bull. I'm the righteous of the Lord. Let someone not speak to you. And God hears this. Come on, let the pastor walk past us and didn't even acknowledge us. Come on. Let Jennifer ask someone to sing a solo and you knew God told you it was your time. <laughs> Come on, we, we just, we just full of it. And see, being a Texan, I know how to wrestle your bull down. Come on, because in Texas they wrestle bulls. And bulls don't go down easy. In fact, when you get them on the altar and you think all their legs are on the altar and you're going to kill it this time, it dangles its leg off of the altar and says, you only got three of it. I've still got one leg to hobble around in the church and still go, And Elijah said, you take a bull, and I'm going to take a bull. And once you secure it, prepare it for sacrifice. Why? Because you cannot make a recommitment to God without laying a sacrifice on an altar. Come on, it's impossible. And Baal's prophets took a bull, and they built an altar, and they put wood with no fire on it, cut the bull up, laid it on the wood, and cried out to their God. Now, can you keep in mind that Baal is the God of not only fertility, but he is the one that controls the weather to make the crops be abundant. Come on, you would think after crying out for three years with with the finances, come on, and no rain, and their God wasn't talking to them, there was something wrong. And he's the God of the weather, and they cry out to him. Now, I want to close tonight, but I want to close with laying two things in our hearts. And please hear me, I'm preaching to myself. 
Faith Christian Center is one of the most blessed places I go. And please hear me, I am not a person of flattering lips. Come on, I'm just not. I don't have time for it. If you're not doing well, I'm going to tell you, you ain't doing well. Because I'm old. Come on, when you get old, you just tell people how the cow ate the cabbage and where the cabbage came from. Come on, you'll tell them all. I'm not here to flatter you. Despite all the battles Faith Christian Center's had, despite all the pain and the disappointments that Christian Faith Center has had to go through, you guys are some of the most wonderful people that we have the privilege to come and preach it and, and pray and prophesy to. I have never come in that I have not felt that people sometimes are challenged, sometimes they don't understand and they have to process it, but I have never felt in the majority of this congregation a resistance to the voice of God. You people are givers. I've been in the ministry 47 years, and I'm just going to tell you this up front. Our largest offerings that we have ever got in the 47 years of our ministry has come from Faith Christian Center. You're givers. That isn't why I come. You are worshipers. I have watched this worship team struggle through principles and things that God needs to deal with. But you know what makes my heart rejoice? They're still standing there. Come on, they didn't get their feelings hurt. They didn't walk away because their commitment was stronger than the correction they needed to receive. Come on, and they're still standing there. I have never seen a church go through, and please stay with me because I'm going there. I have never seen a church go through the pain that this church has gone through with the failure of a leader that has processed it and fought through it and wanted to come out forgiving and being better than to be bitter and hold resentment. And the reason I'm encouraging you is if this church can stand in those hard places as well as the wonderful places of God, God rules and reigns here even if he's still making the adjustments. Can can you hear me? And listen, there is not a perfect church because when you show up, it will become imperfect. Come on, and there's not a perfect pastor. But the thing that kept me committed here in the battle that I had to pray through, come on, because I love Faith Christian Center and I love the people, and the battle that I had to fight through is I didn't need to see Pastor John perfect, more qualified, could do it, I had to seek God because all I needed to know from God was a heart that was seeking after him because I knew if I could see a heart seeking after him, everything's going to be okay. 
you got to hear that. And listen, when God looks at us, he doesn't see perfection. He sees a perfect one in us, but he doesn't see perfection. He just wants to see a heart that's seeking after him. Because if you seek him, the Bible says, you will find him. And so let me bring this to a close. Turn around and say, please do. (laughs) This church has been through trouble. Come on, one person believes it. Where were the rest of you? Come on, this church has a history of trouble. Come on, and maybe you you say, well, I don't know what you're talking about because you joined last week. (laughs) But hang around and you will agree with us, this church has trouble. (laughs) And you know why there's trouble? In a church and trouble in our life and trouble sometime in our marriage and trouble sometime in our finances and trouble sometime with our kids. Trouble reveals your character. Come on, your character's not revealed when you're blessed. Oh, come on. Your character isn't revealed when everything's hunky dory. It's when your dory gets hunky. And this church has been through some trouble. But I'll tell you what, what left, left, what remained, remained. And what remained was a heart that was pursuing after God. And God said, I can see character in that person. And I'm going to finish what I began. Come, Come on. So trouble reveals our character. Let me close. Please help me. Jesus, help me. I need help, Lord. This scene on Mount Carmel with these two bulls and 850 false prophets, all of Israel, and Elijah standing there, number one, in a famine and an economic crisis, God will always in hard times force the church to make a decision. And the decision is whose side we're on. (coughs) He will always take it and force us to make a decision. Number two, in economic crises, we do not process it like the world, but we realize that that decision we need to make is we choose him and we choose his word. That his word cannot return void. Come on, his word stands forever. In an economic crisis, it causes us to make a decision, choose him, and choose his word, but it also makes us understand God does not tolerate indecisiveness. Come on, he doesn't tolerate it. Because he makes you understand and makes me understand that I'm either for God or I'm against God. There is no middle road. And so he doesn't always tolerate it. In the midst of a crisis, God is warning us that America is about to have a spirit of confusion like never before in our history because 
People in positions with title and power have not made a decision that there is no other God but Jehovah. They are going to be indecisive, confused. And we need to take a stand for him. And now Elijah looks and the altars are broken down. And as he looks at it, he said, how can you sacrifice, make a decision that God is God along if you do not have an altar in your life? And so Elijah prophetically is going to step up to the church like we are sitting in tonight. And he said, I'm going to tell you how to restore this thing so you remain on God's side and God is for you and he is not against you. I'm going to show you how to have the favor of God that will take you through this hard time. And when you come out on the other side, you will have more of God than when you first began. I'm going to show you that you were never created in my image and likeness to be a survivor. I created you to be a conqueror, to rule and reign in heavenly places with me. And I'm going to bring you to a place at Faith Christian Center that you are no longer living beneath what God has spoken over you. But you rise up to where God has called you. And that's for any church that's present here tonight. You may not be a member of Faith Christian Center, but I'm here to tell you whatever church you belong to, God does not want you living beneath what he has called you, but above where he has called you because he declared you are the head and not the tail. Can I I talk to you tonight? Now I'm more close. Baal's prophets begin to pray. They had to have a little Pentecostal in them because they're dancing around the altar. And from morning to noon, they cry out for fire and they cry out loud to their God and no answer comes and no response and no voice and total silence is in their life. And Elijah has a sense of humor. And he mocks them saying, maybe your God is uh, busy. Uh, Maybe he's about some other task. Maybe he's asleep. Or maybe he's in the outhouse uh, relieving himself. Uh, You can have your own interpretation. (laughs) And they are frantic in their mind. And they shout louder and louder and louder, but no one answers. They then take lances and they begin to cut their skin and blood begins to come out of their skin where they are cutting it because false gods along with the true God understands that you cannot have covenant without blood. Church, walk with me. We are having an academic in our grade schools, 
our middle schools, our high schools, and in our colleges and universities with kids that are cutting themselves. Come on, and we want to call it mental illness. I'm here to tell you it is a demonic spirit. They are taking paper clips and cutting themselves. They're taking knives and etching in. They are cutting their wrist and mingling blood because the enemy understands this. Every time you shed blood, you are bound to a spirit. And Leviticus 14 and Deuteronomy talks about not to mutilate your body, neither to shed blood in Deuteronomy 14 or not to tattoo yourself because I am the Lord your God. I'm going after it because there's an academic right now of tattooing. And when you get a tattoo, there's the shedding of blood. Oh, come on, church. And God said, don't do that. Why? Because the enemy always put marks and colors on their body and shed the blood of a tattoo on their body that committed them to another God. Come on, I don't care whether you want to believe it or not. I don't care if you think I'm crazy. The Bible said, don't do it because I'm the Lord your God. And you don't want to mark yourself with tattoos and cutting yourself because it connects you to another kingdom that is not of me. Come on, church. You don't have to like me. But I'm here to preach truth to you. It's the same God in the Old Testament that's the God in the New Testament. And he said, I'm wiser and smarter than you. You think it's a cosmetic thing. You think it's a cool thing. You think that it's just a a, a cosmetic thing that identifies you that you're cool. But I'm here to tell you it is a demonic spirit that is causing the drawing of blood and whatever you tattoo, there's a spirit behind that puts you in agreement with it and puts you contrary to God. He said, don't do it because I'm the Lord God. Don't do it. And see, we're so undisciplined, we don't want God to tell us that we can't do something. Oh, y'all ain't hearing me. God's wiser than us. And I'm here to tell you if you have a tattoo, you'd be wise tonight to believe in the power of the blood in the name of Jesus and you better lay hands on that thing and break the curse behind it and the power behind it and the blood that was shed to another God and the disobedience of doing it when God said don't do it because I am the Lord your God and you better take authority over it. We've gone so crazy. Youth pastors are tattooing themselves to identify with young people. And I'm telling you, if God tells you don't do it, and you did it because nobody told you God said that in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, then you need to repent. And you need to believe that God can redeem that thing and break the curse behind it because wherever there's blood, there is a covenant. Come on, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter how you exegesis it. God said, blood seals a covenant. 
My son had to die and blood had to be shed before a covenant could be sealed. Over in the Old Testament, animals had to be slain and put on the altar because a covenant could not be activated without blood. A young girl has a hymen that if it's penetrated by a male organ, that hymen is broken and it sheds blood. And that person, if you are married or you are not married, it doesn't matter how many times you have intercourse. Every time you penetrate that, it is a blood covenant and you become uh, connected to a blood covenant that God never intended for you to be connected to. It's not about sex. It's about the shedding of blood. Come on, young people. Come come on, don't make me start prophesying to y'all. It's far more important for us to understand the scripture. This isn't about sex. This isn't about tattoo. This is about blood. And God looks down at blood and says, you are not like the heathens. Come on. When the Jews were brought in and persecuted by Hitler, they were tattooed. Come on, every one of them had a tattoo with a number because when they were tattooed by their enemy, it cut covenant that made them become oppressed and depressed and end up failing and not succeeding. My friend is... In her late 60s, and she's been a divorcee for about 30 years and married a pastor recently that was a widow. And she said, I want you to come in the ladies' restroom. I want to show you what I'm going to give my husband for his wedding present. And I'm going, wow. So I go in the restroom. She pulls her blouse down, and she's put a butterfly on her boob. And she says, he's going to be so excited when he sees this butterfly. I started laughing. I said, how old are you? She said, you know how old I am. I'm 68. I said, you better get ready because when you're 80, that butterfly is going to take a nosedive. (laughs) I just busted her bubble right there. Next time I saw them and they were married, I said, I heard you got a butterfly for your wedding present. He said, that thing is so ridiculous, I don't even want to talk about it. I said, it's going to take a nosedive. He said, it already has. (laughs) My friend is in her late 60s and she's been a divorcee for about 30 years and married a pastor recently that was a widow. And she said, I want you to come in the ladies' restroom. I want to show you what I'm going to give my husband for his wedding present. And I'm going, wow. So I go in the restroom. She pulls her blouse down and she's put a butterfly on her boob. And she says, he's going to be so excited when he sees this butterfly. I started laughing. I said, how old are you? She said, you know how old I am. I'm 68. I said, you better get ready, because when you're 80, that butterfly is going to take a nosedive. (laughs) 
I just busted her bubble right there. <laughs> Next time I saw them and they were married, I said, I heard you got a butterfly for your wedding present. He said, that thing is so ridiculous, I don't even want to talk about it. I said, it's going to take a nosedive. He said, it already has. <laughs> Come on, church. God loves us enough that when we do things that we don't understand. The church has failed in instructing us. We have a redeemer. We have one that will look and say, well, I, I just don't feel that way about tattoos and cutting. I, I don't understand what you're trying to say. And you know what I found out? If you'll do it God's way, even if you don't understand it, God will redeem it. And one day down the road, you'll see why you did it God's way. My son came to me one day, my son that's with me. He said, I want to know if I can have a tattoo. I said, absolutely. What do you want me to sing at your funeral? (laughs) He said, well, I just wanted to, I said, what do you want me to sing? And you know, he's 52 years old. He doesn't have a tattoo because he fears God. And next in line is not Michael the archangel. It's his mama. (laughs) Come on, sometime we do things. In the military. Come on, it was in prison. Come on, sometime we mark our body and we don't realize that God, he processes it different from us. And when we cut ourselves, it's not mental illness. It's a demonic spirit. And in the midst of it, blood was in the prophets of Baal as they self-mutilated themselves, thinking that God, the God of Baal, would answer them because of the shedding of blood. And the false could not answer their cry. And they mutilated their body. They shed their blood. They said their prayers. They were powerless. They were lifeless. They were unable to be helped or assisted or guided by any other spirit. And before the nighttime came of the evening offering, Elijah steps up to the, to the altar. Now I won't close here. Church. It always has to get dark before the dawning of a new day. Come on, you can't have the dawning of a new day without total darkness. And church, that's why we process economically what's happening in our nation. It's getting darker. We are a godless nation. We have endorsed homosexuality. We've endorsed same-sex marriages. Here in Massachusetts, they have endorsed same-sex marriages. 
Come on, you and I ought to recognize that is a spirit that says we don't have to do it God's way. In fact, I'm going to name the spirit, and it's Antichrist, against Christ. And if the church doesn't pray and fight against it, it will influence your government and it will influence your children and education system and it will influence families. And it is dark right now if you see it in the spirit. There are no, there are no absolutes anymore. Pastors can stand behind the pulpit and leading denominations have endorsed homosexuality that you can have your partner sitting on the front row and represent God and open the sacred book. We are having an abortion. Please hear me. We are having an abortion Every three minutes in America, there are five abortions going on every three minutes. And those aren't the ones recorded. Those are table abortions in back alleys where coat hangers are put up in the inside of a woman and a fetus is pulled out by a coat hanger. It is dark. We are the number one nation and have been for over 30 years to produce child pornography for every other nation. That's why we have so many missing children. Oh, y'all aren't hearing me. And I call that dark. I call that dark when I look at young couples that are married and young people that are sitting over here and they don't know what happens when they tattoo their body and they walk into darkness and the enemy feeds them a lie that it's cosmetic and and that it's just what everybody does and they don't know the biblical principles or the consequences behind it. I call that darkness. I call that darkness when I see young people that are sitting here and young couples that are sitting here and they love God enough to show up on a Sunday night to hear his word and they do not know nor understand what true biblical covenant is and the consequences that happen to you when you become a covenant breaker. I call it darkness when I look at older people my age, 50 and and above, and I look at us and we love God and we serve God, but there's still stuff in our life that we're not doing it God's way. I call that darkness. And Elijah stands and it's time for the evening offering because the darkness has fallen And God is about to create a new day. And church, the only way the church and our nation is going to see the dawning of a new day is to do it God's way. That's the only way. 
And Elijah's going to step up and he's going to give the instructions. If you will do this, God will do that. And if you will do this, God will do that. And if you will do this, darkness will lift and light will come. If you do this, God will step up and show you that all things can become new when you do it God's way. And Elijah does not pull any punches. He does not try to water it down. He looks directly at the church and says, you're in trouble when you have a religion that has broken altars and it does not involve periodic times in your life where God demands you to sacrifice something. Because sacrifice keeps the blood covenant alive. He pulls no punches when he is standing there with a compromised church that truth was not declared and it was watered down and it was not given who this holy, sovereign, ruling, all omnipotent, powerful God that you cannot change him to fit your theology. He stands there and he challenges them that you know what he can do, but you don't know who he is. And he brings them to an altar where they must tie themselves to this altar and this revelation so they are committed to God and God is committed to him and they step forward to realize he along is God. And church, we are going to be forced in this nation. Please hear me. Because I'm talking to you prophetically tonight. We are going to be forced in this nation to accept every God. Buddha, the God of the Muslims, Every false God that you can think of, we're going to be forced to accept it. And if we do not accept it and say that we do not accept those gods, we will find ourselves under great pressure in this hour because we will be labeled dangerous and intolerant. The Jews went to the gas chamber because they would not say there was another God other than Jehovah. And I know we're in total denial that that could never happen in America, but I'm telling you, the scene is already set for the one world government and the one world church and the one world money system and socialism to step in where we are convinced we cannot live our life without the help of a man rather than the help of God. It's a sobering hour. It's a wonderful hour. It's the, it's the greatest moment for the church. It is where she is about to rise to her position in glory and majesty and power and authority, but not without 
the restoring of things that we must do it God's way. And so, Father, tonight, I don't know anything to say, but God, do it your way. I, I don't know wherever you are. Where's my boyfriend? I'm telling you, he hides from me. You know, Ray's quite an, a musician. You're really blessed. It's really not his musical talent or ability. He has that. But I watch him, whether it's praise, whether it's worship, whether it's special music. Ray has been broken of God and to the best of his ability. He tries to be sensitive. And he hopes that somehow across the keyboard and all those different sounds that music notes make, you hear God. I remember many years ago when Ray's life had fallen apart. It wasn't anything that he did. It was a a time when things just began to unravel. It wasn't any sin in his life. I want that clear. He wasn't immoral or any sin, but just things happened that ended up in a divorce because things just unraveled. And I remember coming and sitting on the front row and looking at Ray and I just burst into tears. Because I'd say to God, it's just not right. It's not right for a man to love you and want to serve you and then end up with things unraveling that, that nobody wants to make the effort to fix them. But as I watched Ray, and I'm not embarrassing him and talking about him, but when I watched Ray, I I watched that Ray could have become bitter. He certainly was wounded to the very depths of his heart. And he could have been what we call a victim and a casualty. But I'd watch every time I'd come somehow by the grace and the mercy of God, Ray would pull himself up out of that. And I watched God take what was painful and work what the Bible calls a brokenness before God. And I watched God move into Ray's life. That's, that's why I love Ray. I watched God take those broken pieces that nobody thought could ever come back together and I just watched God breathe into them. But every time I'd see him, a little bit of wholeness would be there and a little bit more of sensitivity to hurting people and loving people. And, and I watched God do a work in him. 
then I watched God look down one day and say, Ray without a wife could become very dangerous. He needs somebody to help him. And you know what? God sent him a help me. Best thing that ever happened to me. Because God's always restoring what's broken. And I'm telling you tonight, many of us sitting here have broken pieces. We couldn't fix it. It just unraveled. No matter how we prayed. Somebody was ill terminally and we prayed and God took them home. It seemed like everything unraveled. Because we just wanted God to heal them and let them stay here. But I found out when you don't have the answers and your life begins to unravel, that's when you learn to trust God. And I tell you, you cannot lose when you trust God. It's impossible. And this church has learned to trust God. Ray's learned to trust God. I've learned to trust God. And listen, many of you are precious in His sight tonight. Because you said, I don't have the answer and it's unraveled and I don't know how to fix it, but it's not going to affect my testimony. I still trust in the power of the name of a living God. And I'm telling you tonight, God's committed to us. And He promised that what He began, He'll finish. And that's why I always look at people at Faith Christian Center because I know that I need a Kodak moment because the next time I see you, you're not going to look the same because God is completing what He began. You're just going to look different. People that visit from other churches, I get Kodak moments of their face because I know they're going to look different. Because from glory to glory, He's changing us. So if that's your desire, I'm going to ask you to be Pentecostal tonight. And I promise you, this is the closing. I'm going to ask you, I don't care if you put your hands out in front of you. I don't care if you lift your hands above you. I don't care if you stretch your hands out. But working in the juvenile department, when I'd pull my gun on someone, that's a scary moment to think you could see me with a gun. <laughs> and they'd hear that gun cock. Because if I knew I was in danger, I wasn't going to bluff them. Because I'd been trained, if it's your enemy and they're not going to surrender, shoot them. Now, I wasn't going to kill them. But I was going to aim wherever I needed to aim so they felt pain and they went down. And I'd cock that gun 
I weighed 110 pounds. Y'all got to get a vision. Before my husband died, I gave him a hundredfold. He said to me, don't give me any more. My arms can't contain it. But I weighed 110 pounds, and I'd cock that thing. And I said, get your hands up there. And the authority behind that weapon made them raise their hands up in the air. At 110 pounds, I could bring a six-foot man down that weighed over 200 pounds because I'd been trained how to bring him down. And I cuffed him and sat on top of him. And I'm here tonight to tell you the Holy Ghost has cocked the gun of heaven. And he's standing and he's saying, get your hands up in the air and surrender. Because you don't want to die, you want to live. And even if I have to arrest you and cuff you so that we can talk about some things, I'm going to take the cuffs off of you and set you free. Because whom the Son sets free will be free indeed. And I'm here to tell you, I'm about to arrest my church so that they surrender. And so tonight, before we go, I raise my hands up in the air, and I hope you raise them with me. Because this isn't a Pentecostal thing. This is a scripture thing. That when they praised God and lifted their hands, they said, we surrender to someone that is more full of majesty and power and glory. He's omnipotent. He's sovereign. And we surrender to him. Everything in us surrenders and yields to his lordship and his ownership and his glory. God, tonight at Faith Christian Center and visiting churches that are here, Almighty God, you see us. We stand before an awesome God and we say, I surrender, God. Cuff me, arrest me by the power of the Holy Ghost. Put boundaries in my life. Deal with me, O God, so that everything in my life cries out, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord God Almighty. Father, I thank you that heaven can come down and change us tonight because we belong to you. We belong to you. Our children belong to you. Our marriage belongs to you. Our singleness belongs to you. Our finances belong to you. Our health belongs to you. Our future belongs to you. And Father, with uplifted hands before you, we surrender and say we are not in control. You are in control of our life. And we ask you, Lord, Send your word and heal us. Let not your word return void. Let it work into the depths of our heart until it accomplishes what heaven desires to see in Faith Christian Center. Father, I thank you for their kindness to sit. And God, I ask as they go home, strength will be to their body for their work tomorrow. And children will be rested for school because we gave God first place. And God will make a way for us. And we thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. We thank you for it. We thank you. Oh, who will ascend unto the holy hills of the Lord? 
but he that hath a clean heart and pure hands, they will ascend unto the holy hill of the Lord. Oh, who will come and let me wash their hands by the sanctification of my word and purify their hearts by the blood of the Lamb? Oh, who will ascend unto the holy hill of the Lord where everything in that place bows and surrenders and submits to the awesomeness of a sovereign and ruling and reigning God? Oh, who will come tonight and give me their lives, surrendering everything, knowing that I care and I'm committed and knowing that from glory to glory, I can change them. Oh, who will ascend unto the holy hill of the Lord? For I have sent my word that it may cleanse and purify you. I have sent my word that it may confirm and convict you. I have sent my word that it may strengthen you. Oh, come. I cry out, come. Come unto the mountain of the Lord. Come and hear the voice of your God. Come, all ye that are burdened and heavy laden, for I shall give you rest. Come, all you that are full of doubt and weariness, for I will lift up your hands once again and strengthen them by my power. For I call you my people, and I call myself your God. Come unto the mountain of the Lord, and know that God is for you, and he is not against you. I come this night to those that are sick in their body, and I tell you my name is Rafa for I'm able to heal you do not give up faith nor turn aside for the Lord is able to restore I come tonight as Jehovah Jireh for I am able to provide oh ye that are weary do not turn aside I come as Jehovah Shalom to give you peace Oh, do not turn aside, but look up, for your redemption draweth nigh, and there is nothing impossible with God. For I come this night to tell you, whatever you have need of, call upon the name of the Lord. Call upon the name of the Lord, and stand back and see my salvation. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.